Hi guys, this is Megan. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking a drink of water. <laughs> water in my mouth. <laughs> Megan's like, let's go, let's go. Uh, this is Kara. This is Megan. And this is the witch's magic murder. And this mystery. is still Megan. Hey guys, if you didn't know, I do this podcast thing with this. Hi, I'm name, Megan. This person named Megan. And that reminds me of a story. It's going to take two seconds to tell. Go. One time I went down to Knoxville to meet up with some writer friends of mine. Yeah. I had just gotten there. We were all very excited. We're in the hotel room and then there's someone knocks the door. I don't hear very well for those of you who don't know me in person. I have one good ear and one bad ear, just like a super old lady, but I've been this way my whole life. <laughs> so if you whisper in one ear, I'll always turn and make you talk in my good ear. <laughs> And if there's a lot of background noise, I have trouble yes. hearing. Yeah, yeah. So someone knocks the door. I open the door. There's a lady standing there and everybody's still like behind me being excited. Right. And she says something. I don't know what I thought she said, but my response to her was, hi, I'm, hi, I'm Megan. <laughs> and she looked at me like, what? And I was like, I'm sorry, excuse me. You know, yeah. she was like, just let us know if you need anything else. <laughs> <laughs> hi, I'm Megan. <laughs> oh, I got made fun of for the rest of the weekend. Hi, hi I'm Megan. Megan. And I'm sure she was like, good for you. Lovely to meet you, ma'am. Weirdo. I'm not giving you my name. (laughs) Anyway. She's going to haunt me for the rest of my life. Today I have a mystery. A mystery It's a mystery and a murder, but it's the most mystery. mystery. Mysterious murder. Exactly. Stephanie, who's in our Facebook group because she makes good life choices, um, (laughs) she posted about this. In the Facebook group. And I was like, if you too would like to make good life choices, (laughs) you can also join our Facebook group. Go to our Instagram bio and click on the link. It is the Witches, Magic, Murder, and Mystery Podcast Discussion Group. It's a good time. It's a great time. But hey, listen, guys, for real, though, answer every dang question. Oh, God. It's a bunch of people who are into all the same things you're into. So they're instant friends. You can share all the info on all the things you love. Perfect. Here's the story. Here we go. On January 2nd, 1935, a man named Roland T. Owen checked into the Hotel President in Kansas City, Missouri. Sidebar, do you notice that we get a lot of Missouri stories? We do. Like, it's not just that people send them to us. We just happen to cover a lot of Missouri stories. Yeah. There was the bully one and the one about the lady, Sharon Kinney, Kinney. Mm-hmm. who got away with murder and disappeared. Yeah. yeah oh, we're doing like a library <gasps> event about that one. Oh my gosh, we are. We'll talk about it later because it's not until September. I don't want to tell you too early, but yeah. we're doing like a cool live Zoom thing mm-hmm. with some Missouri library. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, don't live in Missouri. <laughs> if you do, we're sorry. If you do live in Missouri, blink twice if you need help. Yes. <laughs> okay. So Roland T. Owen was from Los Angeles. And he was checking into this hotel because he was super annoyed at the steep prices at a neighboring hotel. And he didn't want to stay there anymore. He's like, this is too expensive. I'm getting out of here. What? He specifically requested an interior room that was several floors up. So they gave him room number 1046. Okay. He didn't have any luggage. He was wearing an expensive suit. And he only brought with him a hairbrush, a comb, and toothpaste. Hmm. But no toothbrush? Does that bother you? It bothers me. Is he going to brush his teeth with the hairbrush? His fingers just put it on there and just... I mean, it's got nothing to do with anything, but why the toothpaste and no yeah. toothbrush? It's like that. Oh, there's another mystery. He there's a first He's one. really not brushing his teeth. We're not sure how old Roland was. Hotel staff estimated him to be anywhere from 20 to 35 and years And they couldn't old. judge him based on his teeth because he wasn't brushing Nope. Ew. <laughs> he had a large scar on his face and a cauliflower ear. Which I had to Google, and I was afraid to Google, but it's not nearly as gross as it sounds. Cauliflower ear is an acquired deformity of the outer ear. It happens when the cartilage of the ear is damaged by trauma 
or inflammation. And then the blood that collects there isn't drained properly properly, and it becomes infected. Oh. It's common in wrestlers and boxers. Like gotcha. They, who, who yeah, take yeah. a lot of hits there. Can you, they do what? <laughs> you take a lot of hits there. I just demonstrated on the YouTube video for those of you who don't know what hits means. Yeah. <laughs> um, that afternoon, on the same day he checked in, a maid named Mary Soptic came to clean his room. On the same day he checked in, she's like, I got to go clean his room. When she walked in, it was really dark. He had just turned on one light, and I guess it was like a really dim lamp. Yeah. And it's weird because he's just sitting in the room. Okay. Silent. In the dark. So she started cleaning, and he waited a bit, and then he left. And he before he left, he's like, hey, could you leave the door unlocked? Because I have some friends who are going to come by later. Can you imagine just leaving your hotel room unlocked? Yeah. I don't even want to think about it. No, thank you. Later that afternoon, she comes back because this is the cleanest hotel ever. She's very thorough. Very good at her job. It's about 4 o'clock, and she's surprised because he's already back in his room. This time, he's laying on the bed, fully clothed, completely silent, in the dark. He's so, had a rough day. I'll just say, it's, he's kind of a weird dude. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or at least he's acting like a weird dude. Yes. Maybe he's been through some sort of right. trauma or, or something and he's decompressing. Right. I mean, I'm all about he dark and quiet. He's so okay? obsessed with his high rates at the last hotel. He's just got to decompress. Maybe he's just laying there like, where's my toothbrush? Yeah. <laughs> what did I do with it? What did I do with it? Did I leave that at that God last hotel? That, yeah, I had to buy another toothbrush. I, I spent all that money on that steep hotel and I now I got to buy a toothbrush. They took my toothbrush. There was a note next to the bed that just says, Don, I'll be back in 15 minutes. Wait. So there's that. Hmm. Uh, Mary returns to room 1046 around 1030 the next morning to clean again. I really My cannot God. get over how many times she's in the they room. They were really thorough. It would drive me nuts. Like when I check into hotel room, don't, the first I thing that I do thing is the door. Do disturb yeah. and like, don't come in. I'm going to leave a towels, pile of, you. I'm gonna leave a pile of towels on this yeah. floor until I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> When she came that time, the door was locked from the outside. So, of course, she's like, well, he must be gone. Mm -hmm. She uses her key to enter, and there he is, sitting in the dark, just like he'd been the first time she came the day before. And he didn't say anything about why the door was locked from the outside or who would have done that. So, while she's there cleaning, he gets a phone call, and she heard him say, no, Don, I don't want to eat. I'm not hungry. I just had breakfast. I'm not hungry. Doesn't it sound like they're having like a lover's quarrel. Yeah. Like, Don, the first note, I'll be back. Just wait. Yeah. And now this one, like, no, I don't want to eat. Hungry. I already eat. I don't want your food. I want no, Don. Don't bring me anything. Later that afternoon, she comes to his room for the last time. This time, she's there to deliver fresh towels, and she hears two male voices in the room. And when she knocks, there's a man's voice who's like, who is it? She explains who she is. She says she's got fresh towels, and he's like, we don't need any. And Mary is like, I know you need, like, I knew they needed fresh towels. I was in there earlier. Yeah, and I've been I in didn't there every, she's been in there every 10 minutes since he's checked in. So yeah, she absolutely knows. She's trying to do her job. He okay. does not have fresh towels, but yeah. she's like, okay, fine. I'll yeah, leave. it's fine. Don't brush your teeth. Don't take a shower. It's yeah, fine. it's fine. On Dirty January, <laughs> on January 3rd, 1935. So it's the day after he checked into hotel. A man named Robert Lane was driving home when he was flagged down by a man running down the street. The man was wearing only an undershirt with no coat and he had a scratch on his arm. And when Lane asked about the scratch, the man said he would kill the person who did it. Hmm. Lane took the mysterious man to a taxi but didn't get his name. And it was only later, after seeing pictures in the paper, that he would come forward and say the man with the scratch was Roland T. Owen. Oh. That same night, a woman named Jean Owen, who was not related to him, checked into the hotel and she was given the room next to his. Several times throughout that night, she heard an argument from room 1046, which was Roland's room. Right. She said one voice was male and the other was female. She heard a scuffle and a gasping noise, 
which she thought was someone snoring. <laughs> the nighttime elevator operator, Charles Blocker, also reported some activity during the night. He said there was a party in room 1055, and there was a woman he saw several times who said she was looking for room 1026. He saw the woman for the last time around 4 a.m. when she left the hotel with a man. Oh. Her identity and the identity of the man she left with are still unknown. Oh. So the following day on January 4th, the switchboard operator for the hotel noticed that the phone was off the hook in room 1046. Okay. So she calls down to the busboys and one of them, Randolph Probst, went up there to check it out. I'm just, I said that like I was super yeah, confident. Yeah, yeah, I'm going it with it. could be props. I'm going with it. This is a little after 7 a.m. Okay. And so Randolph goes to the room, and there's a do not disturb sign on the door. So he ignores the sign, and he knocks anyway. And from inside, a voice says, come inside. When Randolph tried to enter, the door was locked from the inside, so he knocked again. And the voice says, and I should say the voice was really quiet, and it said, turn on the lights. But still, the door was locked. And I don't understand if Randolph didn't have a key. Yeah. Um, I mean, they've told you to come in. Right. I would think he did since he was like being sent up there to investigate yeah. the phone thing. Right. But he doesn't let himself in. Instead, he yells through the wall and says, hang the phone up and leaves. Are you kidding me? I want to smack him in the face. Yeah. It's okay. super like, what Hit kind of service is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's yelling. You all have been so very thorough up until this point. Yeah. Mary, the maid, she would never have. She would happen. never. She, she would have already been right, that room she twice already. Walked right in. She wouldn't have even needed someone to tell day. her. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so Randolph goes back downstairs and he's like, listen, that guy in room 1046, he's probably just hung over because it was like right after New Year's. Yeah. He's like, give it an hour. We'll go back up there and see. An hour later, phone is still off the hook. So this time a different bellboy goes up there. Harold Pike. Okay, Harold. Harold gets there. The door is unlocked. But Harold lets himself in. Okay. Because he's better at his job than Randolph. Roland T. Owen was laying quietly in the dark on the bed. Harold described him as being naked and drunk and also described dark stains on the bed that he could see because of the light from the hallway when he opened the door. Now, Harold doesn't turn on the light in the room. I'm guessing the whole he's drunk thing mm -hmm. was because that's how Randolph had already been. Like he'd already like Randolph had put that idea in their head. Yeah. Right. And now they're just going with it. So Harold's like, well, this guy's drunk. I'm not going to turn on the light. Yeah. I'll just hang the phone up and leave. And that's what he does. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't say anything to Roland and Roland doesn't say anything to him. At 10.30 in the morning, the phone is off the hook again. So it seems like Roland's right. knocking it off on purpose, right. probably to get help. Mm -hmm. This time, he doesn't even knock. Randolph goes up there. He doesn't knock. He just lets himself in. I bet he's irritated, too. Yeah, he's, like, he's like, what Ugh. are you doing? Yeah. Quit flailing around. So, I mean, at this point, it's been three and a half hours since the first time that Randolph went right. up there to the room to check on him. And, you know, at that time, the guy had said, come in. And yeah. He didn't. But anyway, this time he goes in. Roland is on his knees just inside the door. His head was bloody <gasps> and there were dark stains all around him. Randolph immediately turns on the lights and he is stunned. By oh my gosh. <gasps> there was blood everywhere. <gasps> Streaks of red on the walls in the main room and in the bathroom. The bed was soaked with blood. What? And there was a spray of blood spatter across the <gasps> ceiling. So keep in mind... He's been laying like this. Yes. This has been the situation all morning. Oh, my gosh. And Harold went in the room. Yeah. And just didn't realize it. Wouldn't you smell? Uh, that's what I was about to say. Does he not have a good sense of smell? Because <sighs> maybe he not smell blood. So Randolph puts the phone back on the hook. <laughs> of course. Because that's your first priority. Yeah. And then he runs downstairs to get help, which I don't he know why. He call 911. I don't think. I don't know if 911 was a thing in 1935. Oh, yeah. But still, he could have called down to the front desk. Yeah. But anyway. Maybe he just 
was scared and wanted to mm-hmm. get out of that room. Yeah. But anyway, he runs back downstairs to get help. He comes back with the assistant manager. At that point, they have trouble getting back in because Roland has wedged himself behind the door. I don't think on purpose. I yeah, he's, he's just, just like yeah. delirious. But somehow Roland woke up a bit and crawled away from the door. So he's still alive. Oh and the hotel gosh. staff is able to get in. Then they follow Roland to the bathroom where he seats himself on the edge of the tub. They call the police. Doctors show up from Kansas City General Hospital. Oh, my gosh. Kara. Yes, Megan. I have been seeing all over TikTok these hair straighteners. Ever since I got my hair cut, I still feel like I'm learning how to do my hair all over mm-hmm. again. Let me tell you, I have found one that works really well. It's um, from Tymo. Uh-huh. T-Y-M-O. Yes. And it is the company for getting the best type of straightener for everything your hair could possibly need. It's all over social media right now with products from $59.99 to top of the line straighteners. Each of their products are built to last and have so many options for whatever your hair needs are. So Karen and I received a couple of the products. Oh we gosh. got a so exciting and a blow dryer. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the straightener because that's the one that I have used. It has a cordless design, which makes it so right. handy. You traveled with it. Yes. So it's great for getting a good hair reset on the go because it's so portable and convenient. It's called the Porta. It has this 3D comb design, which is enhanced by cutting edge MCH anionic technology. So you brush it through your hair, it straightens as it goes, and it pushes against this ceramic plate that gives a frictionless glide that promises to curb frizz by 50%. And I've totally seen that because my hair gets frizzy and this just really smooths it out. I really loved it. Okay. So I got the air hype. I'm obsessed with it. I have just like naturally curly wavy hair so it was a huge game changer for me it dries your hair in half the normal time and it keeps your hair safe and shiny which i noticed immediately Mm -hmm. i didn't even need to straighten it afterwards and usually i do because usually i have all those wild like curls left over the wind power on this thing is intense it's wild like i turned it up i was like let's play with these buttons okay so it has three magnetic styling attachments they're all amazing you know how some blow dryers you get are like if you go to a hotel and there's a diffuser and you're like oh my gosh this is like tearing my hair to pieces and it's right. gonna be so tangled not with this one nice. and it's magnetic so it's great so right now you guys our listeners can get 30 percent off their first order at timobeauty.com t-y-m-o beauty.com using the code WMM30. So that's just two M's. You guys know our codes usually have three. So just keep that in mind. So with so many great products to choose from, now's the time to upgrade your styling and curling kit. So go to TYMOBeauty.com and use the code WMM30 for 30% off your first purchase. Goodbye. Goodbye. Roland's neck wrists and ankles had all been bound with cord and it seems as if he'd been tortured. There was a lot of bruising around his neck as if someone had tried to strangle him. Oh, my gosh. There were several puncture wounds to his chest, one of which had punctured his lungs. He had a skull fracture on his right side, apparently from blunt force trauma. Here's the thing I don't get. When he came up the very first time, when Randolph did. Yeah. And he's saying, come in, turn on the light. Why didn't he just say, help me? Unless he was just that out of it, he couldn't. Or what if it wasn't Randolph in the room talking to them at that point? Uh, I don't know. That's I hadn't actually thought of that for just this moment. Though. Yeah. Anyway, so the only clues they found in the room were a hairpin, a label from a tie, an unlit cigarette, and four fingerprints thought to have come from a woman. I don't know how they determined it would come from a woman. Maybe it's like the size or something. It seems a little presumptuous to me. Yeah. Question. while they cut the cords from his wrist they're like who did this and he replies nobody they question him all the way to the hospital but he he would only say he fell and hurt himself in the tub clearly that's not what happened like you're you can't you are bound yourself and stab yourself and but he 
he would not give any information, which is weird, too. Yeah. Um, he lost consciousness before they even made it to the hospital, and he died shortly after midnight on January 5th, 1935. Oh, my gosh. So the Kansas City Police Department begins their investigation right away. Analysis of the blood of the scene led them to conclude the attack had occurred between 4 and 5 a.m. in the morning of January 4th. Huh, when those people were leaving. I know. That's weird. There were no clothes in any of the drawers and no soap, shampoo, or any of the towels provided by the hotel. Which makes you wonder if whoever committed the crime had cleaned themselves up and yeah. left taking the towels. Yeah. Because remember, Mary absolutely knew. She knew they needed They them. needed fresh towels. Yeah. So there were dirty towels in there. Yeah. They also didn't find any knives in the room that could have caused the stab wounds to his chest. When they tried to contact his next of kin, that whole thing led them to discover that Roland T. Owen didn't actually exist. There was no record of him in L.A., period. What? And so they took his fingerprints and sent them to the FBI, which also led nowhere. So, in an effort to identify the man who'd called himself Roland T. Owen, his photo was published in area newspapers with the heading, Do You Recognize This Man? And the body was put on display at the funeral home. <gasps> I know. Oh. You can still see the photo of him online. It's not as upsetting as you think. It's not gruesome, except you're immediately where you know you're looking at a photo yeah. of a dead man like you can just tell. But it's just his head in profile, and it shows that scar on his temple. Mm -hmm. uh, and the scar he has there, like, no hair will grow there. So it's really obvious. Right. Multiple bartenders stated that they had seen the dead man in the company of different women. And remember the story at the beginning when he was like, I'm coming here because this other hotel yeah. is too expensive? That one seems to check out. A man matching his description had spent some time at the other hotel, but the name he'd used there was Eugene Scott, which they also determined was not his real name. Oh, my gosh. He'd also stayed at the Kansas City Hotel and the St. Regis Hotel, and the staff at the Regis said that an unidentified man had been with him when he stayed at their hotel. Oh. Two months go by. They still don't know who he is. How? So, this is crazy. I know. And also, like, how is he staying at all these hotels? Yeah. Where's the money coming Where? From? Yeah, you aren't working. Who are you? Staying at a hotel. Yeah. So they're about to bury him in a potter's field, and they do one last time. They put the details about his burial in the local paper, and then the funeral home gets a phone call. It's an anonymous caller, but they're like, hey, wait, just wait. So I want to make arrangements for the body to be buried at Memorial Park Cemetery in Kansas City. And it said, we want the body to be interred near his sister. But, like, we have no yeah. idea who the sister was. Yeah. And they didn't say where to put it. But it's like, clearly someone cared enough. Right. So ha they had to have known who he was. Yeah. The funeral home agreed to do this. And they were like, what happened to him? And the caller replied, he had an affair with one woman while engaged to another. According to the caller, the two women and the caller himself had arranged to meet with the man, Roland, Except he's not really rolling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and in order to have their revenge. Cheaters usually get what's coming to them, he said, and you know <gasps> I don't believe any part of that story, by Yeah. The way. It seems like it's just a very easy, neat and tidy, like, yeah. here's the oldest motive right. in the book. Yeah. So anyway. Fraser Carrie Underwood has a song about it. <laughs> <laughs> On March 23rd, the funeral home receives a check for $25, which would be about 500 in today's money for the dead man's funeral. Oh, my goodness. And two other envelopes containing $5 were sent to the local florist with instructions to deliver 13 American Beauty Roses to the gravesite with a card signed Louise. Huh. They investigate all of that. It leads nowhere. And no visitors ever come to the site. So they all like wait and watch it for yeah. several weeks. No one ever shows up. A year after the death, a woman in Alabama named Eleanor Ogletree saw a magazine article about the murder and recognized the man in the photo. She thought it was her brother, Artemis. Hmm. She knew it was him because of that scar on his head around his temple. Oh, yeah. 
After they talked to her, police agreed. Their John Doe was Artemis Ogletree. <gasps> what? Artemis had left Birmingham, Alabama when he was 17 years old in April of 1934. And he wanted to see the country. So he said he's going to hitchhike to California. Yeah. So he left Alabama and he ends up in Missouri. He was 17 in April of 1934 and he died in January of 1935. So he'd be what, 17 or 18? Mm -hmm. And remember how the hotel staff was like, he's 20 to 35? Yeah. That's weird. He was a very mature individual. Here's something weirder. So Artemis's mother, Ruby, had received typewritten letters from him. And the timing of the letters means they were sent after he died. The first was from early 1935, postmarked in Chicago. Months later, another letter arrived saying Artemis was making his way to Europe. And then in August, someone named Jordan called Artemis's mom from Memphis, Tennessee, and said, your son saved my life, and now he's married a rich woman, and they're living in Cairo, Egypt. What? I don't know. So something to note here is, before his death, like he, it was normal for him to, like they hadn't seen him since he left Birmingham, but he would correspond through letters. Yeah. Before his death, their letters were handwritten. Not typed. Mm. And as far as Ruby knew, her son didn't know how to type. But right. that's always, like, he could have right. learned, but still. So even after they identified him, like, knowing that it was Artemis Ogletree mm-hmm. didn't help their investigation. Like, they, sure, they know who he is, but they don't know why he was Yeah, murdered. what happened to him? Police what? What? couldn't find any connections to anyone named Don. There's some theory that instead of it being, like, a person, it meant, like, the Don, like a mob right. thing. But that doesn't seem like... Would you really be like, no, Don, to no, the Don? Don? I don't know. This seems Jesus. And also, this seems way too messy to be a mob hit. Yeah. Like, if, I think if it was a mob hit, he just would have disappeared. Right. In 2003, I don't know anything about the mob, by the way. Yeah, don't come at us. <laughs> In 2003, someone reached out to the Kansas City Public Library and said they had information about Artemis Ogletree's death. Huh? The caller was anonymous, but of they were like. Of course it was. Yeah, of course. So someone had died, and this person, the caller, was going through boxes that had belonged to the deceased person, right? That's how you clean out, like, your grandmother's house after she passes away. And in the box, they found old newspaper clippings about the Ogletree murder. And they were like, listen, there's something in this box that is tied to the murder. It's mentioned in the newspaper clippings. Oh. But he wouldn't say what the something was. What? Mm -hmm. He just said... That, yeah, there's a thing in here that, that's mentioned in the newspaper articles that ties this person to the murder. But that's all he says about it. He's not going to be like, that's all we know about can have it. And that makes me insane. I don't know. Maybe he told somebody. Maybe somebody somewhere knows. Yeah. Like, in the investigation. And they've kept it a secret. But, like, nobody knows. What? And, of course, I went to Reddit because that's what I always do. And I'm like, what's Who happening? Who knows anything? Yeah. And nobody. I mean, people have theories. Some people were like, maybe it's the missing hotel shampoo or hotel soap. Right. Or a bloody towel. Mm-hmm. or Which is that is fascinating, but also, like, why would you keep a souvenir? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, my God. No suspects have ever been identified. Ever. This happened in 1935. So, obviously, my first thought is a spy. Yeah. He was, I mean. Yeah. Um, have you seen that, the new Unsolved Mysteries reboot on Netflix? Yes. So, you know, like, yeah. I think it's, like, episode two mm-hmm. or three, where the woman. Yeah. There's, the there's a woman they find dead in a hotel, and it's all super weird. Yes. I think even in the episode, they're, like. She's a spy, but we can't really say she's a spy. Yes. Right? Nobody can confirm it. Yeah. And, but it's so similar to this story that I think that's why I immediately think it's a spy. Right. But there are so many other things to wonder about. Like, why did he leave Alabama to begin with? Uh-huh. Was it really just to see the yeah. world? And why was he going by a different name? Multiple different names. Eugene Several. Scott. Yeah. yeah. Those are just the two we know of. Yeah. What led him to the hotel in Missouri on January 2nd? 
also several hotels. <laughs> Why was he bouncing from hotel to hotel? Yeah. And who was paying for them? Exactly. He had to have been getting money from somewhere. Someone had to have known him. mom sending it to him. And there's no way, from my understanding, that you could have not, you couldn't have missed the newspaper articles about this yeah. unidentified dead man. Yeah. Um, who was Don? Yeah. Who was Louise? Who answered the phone? Who was the caller to the funeral home after he died who, like, sent yeah. money? Why did anyone feel the need to write letters to his family to make it seem like he was still alive? Right. Like, Type weird. letters to his family. Right. Like, was that an attempt to keep them from looking for him mm-hmm. uh, and identifying him as the dead guy? Or was it like, I don't want his mom to worry. I'm going to write these letters. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. was it like something out of taking, like, protecting yourself as yeah. the killer or caring for the family? Yeah. Because whoever this was knew that he was Artemis Ogletree. Mm-hmm. Like, they knew he wasn't yeah. Roland T. Owen or yeah. whatever. So that's, I don't know. To me, that says something big, too. They, yeah. they knew who he was. Yeah. Because he was clearly not going by that name. Right. Before. This is crazy. I know. And the last thing I keep wondering is, what if that wasn't Artemis at all? I mean, it probably was. Right. But it's also like the age difference thing. And yeah. I don't know. That guy took But off. I mean, his family identified. It, when they had the but scar. Yeah. It's probably him. Yeah. And Artemis was a wrestler oh. in high school. So he had a call for him. And the big, the big, big one is what was in the box. Yes. Somebody tell us like what? (laughs) That's one of those we're never going to know because it's 1935 and we don't know yet. We're probably never going to know. She's Pete. But I'm just like, why would you call? Why would you call Mm -hmm. and say anything if you weren't Mm going to just go ahead and say what's in the box? Mm -hmm. Which makes me think maybe they did and it's just being kept under wraps. Because he was a secret. But if the person was deceased, if the person was who the box originally belonged to was dead at this point. Why not just say it? Right. I just want to know what was in the box. Yeah. Can you all tell us or no? (laughs) If you're, are you the person that called in 2003? Are you? (laughs) Tell us everything. We won't tell anyone. Was it a relative? Your secrets are safe with us. Yeah. They really are. I really, no, I won't put it on the podcast. I just just want to know. know. (laughs) We're just so curious. I hate not knowing things. Yeah. Okay. That's it. That's my mystery. Yeah. Jesus. I know. Wow. You all can all think about that. If you have theories, let me know. Yeah, we just need to know. You can email us at witchesmagicmurdermystery at gmail.com. Yes, you can join us on the Patreon to hear more bonus content, by the way. Because we're so funny. We had a video that came out last week, and we had like two other episodes that have come out this month. So I can't keep track of when this episode is coming out, but we do two extra episodes and a video a month on the mm-hmm. Patreon. And we are excited and hoping to add more content to the Patreon Yes, um, as we find more time in our lives to do things. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully our children stay in school for a while. Oh, my gosh. I hope so. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye.